0: Good morning, all right, everybody. So uh, it has been a whirlwind with, uh, with you know, graduations. It's also wedding season and all sorts of things. You got, I got, you know, old students that are getting married at the same time. People are graduating, so this week has been crazy. We had a wedding on, we had a wedding on Friday. We had a, uh, we had like three graduations yesterday, um, as a family, and then my six-year-old has a better social life than me. So for the past four weeks, he's been invited to everyone's birthday party um, at Chuck E. Cheese. So now we're frequent people at Chuck E. Cheese. So um, (laughs) it's been crazy. It's been crazy. But I think, you know, the ability for us to slow down and um, and, and look at the scripture and and look at what we're doing is, is such an amazing thing. So that's what I chose to do today. Um, and unfortunately, if it's not, if it's not that good, Andy will be back next week from Peru, so we'll be fine, all right? We'll be good. Um, but first of all, my name is Eric Moreno. I am actually the, um, student pastor, youth pastor, student guy, whatever you want to call me, or even the guy that says word in the sermons all the time, that's me. (laughs) That's right, absolutely. And so, I have been asked, I've always made this, I've always made this claim, like, you know, if I'm asked five times what, why do I say word other than amen, I always say, hey, this is. I'm going to go ahead and give you the explanation. Well, I've had that happen within this past week on why I say word. And so in everything that I do, I try to have an intentional purpose behind, okay? Um, and one of the reasons why is because if there was a philosopher that, uh, said lo- that said logos, which logos is actually translated word of God, therefore it also, he say word, and his name was Heraclitus he was a philosopher who used to say that all the time. Logos meaning word of God, therefore, and then logos in the Greek translation actually means word. And then also me growing up in the 80s, that's when, or 80s, 70s, or 80s, but 70s, there was introduced a genre of music called hip-hop and they always said word. As a matter of fact, Cameo, if anyone knows who Cameo the band is, they sang a song called Word Up. So, (laughs) absolutely. So, and, and when, when I look at that, and some of you are going, "Oh, okay, all right," well, that's, that's where the intentionality is behind all of that. Is that when me saying "word" is because I'm always thinking of that's the word of God. It also means uh, rationally divine intelligence as well. For those people who didn't necessarily believe that there was a God, that's what it, that's what it was too. So, hopefully, that can give you all some sense in that too. Um, but in growing up, in growing up in Houston, and, and even. Being being surrounded by lots of different uh, lots of different types of music, lots of different types of food, and, and everything like that. Typically, um, you know, we like to we like to see we like to see the different types of things. And man, we have some awesome food in Texas. Let me tell you. And a lot of the Mexican food that you see in Texas is actually Tex-Mex. And I'm probably gonna make y'all a little hungry uh, today as well. So, but that's all right. We could do that. I'll make it short if that's the case too. Um, in, in what we're What we're we're doing today is I wanted to talk to y'all a little about Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. Um, But just to kind of open that up a little bit as we text the text today, um, I wanted to talk to y'all a little about some of the things that happened even when I graduated as well. Um, So when I graduated, um, we graduated with 667 students. Next week, I'm going to my old high school, okay, where there is over or there's no a thousand seniors that will be graduating. Okay, my nephew's graduating from there. And I'm just like, that is craziness going on, man. It's crazy. But in that time, I remember I remember just thinking of all the different songs growing up that there was always a graduation song that happened. Right? And I just for some reason I remember my fifth grade graduation my fifth grade graduation, and I remember that they had Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All. Anybody remember Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All, right? Absolutely. And how everyone, that's what all the teachers wanted, but the teachers were a little bit older than us, but at the time, the number one song on Billboard was End of the Road by Boys to Men. Y'all know that one, right? Although we go. yes, yeah, right, man. That was amazing. But when we really look at the context of what that song was talking about, it was not a graduation song. It was a breakup song, especially when you have the dude that's, like, going up there because back then, boy bands, they had, like, this one guy who was a bass who was always like, baby, I'm sorry. <laughs> I never really... You know, you don't know what I'm talking about, right? So that's what, that's what I remember. And so I didn't even realize that until I grew up to when I was a senior. And I was like, that sounds like a breakup song. Like, man, like, that's, a, that's, not, that's not a song that you would sing for someone who's going, you know, going to... Going to school, but even then, I just remember all the emotions that happened with graduation because sometimes we think of it as a breakup, you know? We think of it as many things. And then I even think about when I graduated and I went to, came here 18 years ago. You no, know, I graduated a little, bit, a little bit longer than that, but I came here 18 years ago and just remember feeling very, very different than everybody else. I went to a university, and even, even when I was going to a university, I felt different. And then coming here felt really different. And so I remember coming here and uh, finding Camino Real in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, because I went to MTSU, and didn't have any family, didn't have any friends, really. Um, if it wasn't for a fraternity, that was, in, that was in, uh, in Vanderbilt that I had pledged when I was at, uh, when I was in, at Southwest Texas State. Um, I had maybe just a group of kids, just a group of students that I, was, that I was friends with, but they were in Nashville when I was in Murfreesboro. So I remember going first time going out to eat by myself, and I, yeah, I know it's kind of awkward. Just like, oh, man, but I just wanted to say, all right, I need to see if there's some good Mexican food somewhere, man. I got to find this out. So I went to Camino Real in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and I remember sitting down and then trying to converse in Spanish, saying, hola, como estas, and uh, asked him where he was from. They were from Guatemala, so Mexican, Mexican restaurant where all the, all the waitresses and wait- waiters were Guatemalan. It was kind of funny to me. Um, <laughs> so, um, Guatemala is not in Mexico. Just FYI. Um, okay. Um, but so in looking at that, I remember asking. I was like, you know, ¿Usted tienen chile con queso? And they're like, uh, I don't know what you're saying. They say ¿Usted está en chile con queso? Which means, do you have chile con queso? And they're like, uh, Yeah, c c c c And so they come out and bring me jalapenos and shredded cheese. And I said, no es como like soup, like I said, like, you know, because my Spanglish, I said, no es como la sopa, like, soup, like, and they're like, oh, you mean cheese dip. <laughs> it's like, what is this cheese dip? And so they bring it out, and it was white. Now, let me just show y'all what cheese dip looks like in Texas versus, we have the cheese dip, right, and then we also have the, we have the cheese dip and we have the, the, the queso or queso right? And that's popcitos, man. They have some of the best queso, if y'all know what popcitos is. Um, and so, <laughs> that's right. And so, in looking at that, I was like, wait a minute, this ain't what I'm used to. What is this? You're giving me milk with chips? That's not good, you know? Um, but, and then I remember some people telling me, well, that's the authentic one, and that's the authentic. And so, so When we look at both of this, neither is authentic, basically, just FYI. Cheese dip was actually, or cheese dip or queso or chili con queso was actually created that way in a a town, in a Phoenix cafe, which was a town in Texas, okay, all right? Back then, back in the 1800s, chili con queso was chips or was, uh, was, was chiles or peppers and cheese, and there was more chile, or peppers, than there was cheese. So the version that we look at right now, and we're like, oh, this is authentic Mexican. It's not, guys, just FYI. Um, and, so, and, and you wouldn't really know that unless you actually developed and looked at the context of what it came from, where it came from, how it was made, what was, what was happening with it, because even back then, cheese took a long time to make. And if you ever went to Mexico, and some of y'all know this too, um, Lou here, so I can't pick on him. But uh, but you'll know that the cheese is called cotija cheese a lot of times, and it's crumbly. It's not shredded, and it doesn't melt as well either. So when we see this, just know that this is very Americanized. And the reason why I say that is because uh, it was a week ago I was working a conference, and there was a lady who asked me. She said, she said, hey, oh man, you know, it was uh, Lisa Harper, if you know the author. She was doing the conference, and she said Lisa was talking about this awesome cheese, you know, this awesome cheese dip and chili con queso at some of these authentic Mexican restaurants. So I want an authentic Mexican restaurant. And I asked her, I said, where are you from? Because I want to make sure you know, because there's two different types of Mexican food. There's Sonora style and there's Tex-Mex. And then um, she was like, well, you know, I don't want, she goes, well, you know, she says cheese. She was like, but I just want to go to a place where we'll get a cheese dip. And I'm sitting here going, if you want to go authentic, they ain't going to have cheese dip there. Let me tell you that right now. They are not going to have cheese dip. So just to let y'all know, so if you're thinking, man, we want some really good Mexican food with some awesome cheese dip, it's not authentic if they have cheese dip. But at the same time, you know, we all, we all have adapted and we've understood that, hey, people like this stuff and they will buy it and people will just eat it up like crazy. So there has been an adaptation, of course. And so all this to say, now that I've made you hungry... Um, I want to get into Scripture because I think it's the same way. If we look at Jeremiah 29, 11, that's like the biggest graduation, the biggest graduation um, you know, verse that we always put on there. It's the ones that we put out on our, on our, on our cards that we're sending out to, to friends. It's all, all this stuff to invite for, for, for everything. But I wanted to look at the context of that entire verse from 1 through 14 today. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Jeremiah 29. We're going to look at 1 through 14. And I'll go ahead and read that, and then we'll text the text together too and see what this says about God and humanity. All right, so here we go. Uh, This is Jeremiah's letters to the exiles. The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter to the exiles Nebuchadnezzar had carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. It was addressed to the elders who were left among the exiles, to the priests, to the prophets, to the other people who were exiled in in Babylon. He sent it after King Jeconiah, The queen mother, the palace officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had been exiled from Jerusalem. He sent it with Elisa, son of Japhon, and Gamariah, son of Hilkiah. King Zedekiah of Judah had sent these men to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The letter said, The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all those he sent into exile to Babylon from Jerusalem, Build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters find wives of your sons and allow your daughters to get married so that they too can have sons and daughters grow in number do not dwindle away work to see that the city where i sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity pray to the lord for it for it has for it prospers you for as it prospers you you will prosper For the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, Do not let the prophets among you, or those who claim to be able to predict the future of divination, deceive you. And do not pay any attention to the dreams that you are encouraging them to dream. They are prophesying lies to you and claiming my authority to do so. But I did not send them. I, the Lord, affirm it. For the Lord says, Only when the 70 years of Babylonian rule are over will I again take up consideration for you. Then I will fulfill my gracious promise to you and restore you to your homeland. For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. When you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. When they seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart, I will make, my mis- I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. <clears throat> Then I will reverse your plight and will regather you from all the nations and all the places where I've exiled you, says the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. All right, makes it makes a little different explanation of, of Jeremiah 29, 11. It's almost like, hey, I'm going to give you a plan to prosper you and, and, and not harm you. Who's ready to get deported? That's basically what it's basically saying. Um, so with that said, what does this say about God. What does this say about humanity that you see in there? Or what does this tell us about God, rather? God so God's going to fulfill his prophecies, but not on the timeline that we want, right? Absolutely. Tyson, thank you so much for sharing me and reminding me that, you know, I brought this... I brought this um, this passage to our students on Wednesday night as well, and they actually had a chance to, to contribute some of this. So if you're a student here and you contributed, let me know. Speak out to it as well. But um, Tyson, that's good. That you know, God is going to he's going to fulfill his promise. But you see, that promise doesn't have to it doesn't have anything to do with our timeline and what we want to do and how we can do it. It's all about who God is and how he's going to guide our steps when it comes down to it. And so many times what we think is we think, okay, look, I'm going to pray to God, but God, I want to compromise with you. Hey, look, if you do this, God, I will. But see, that's not the case here. It's the fact that God's going to do what he wants to do, when he wants to do. We have to be the ones that are going to be obedient to it. It doesn't matter what's happening. doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. We have to be obedient to it as well. Good, good, good one. Thanks, Tyson. What else? Verse 13, you know, unlike any other religion, um, you know, we, we serve a God beyond honor. We, we worship a God that tells us He, he will make Himself available to us. What do mm-hmm. we need to do to earn that? Right. Yes, absolutely. And that goes with uh, some of the... That goes with a... You know, that God is, yes, that's a, that's a good truth that even our students have said as well, is that God is available to us. You know, all we have to do is we have to pray, we have to pray to him, or, you know, not even that, I mean, he's just available to us in general, but the fact is, is that if we are going to pray to him, if we're going to prosper in that prayer, which means that if we're going to continuously seek him and not necessarily just sit there and say, oh, God's going to come to me, but if we're going to allow ourselves to be open to him in what he does, allow ourselves to be to be to be worked on by him as well. He will be available to us. He says it here that when you seek me in prayer and worship you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul, I will make myself available to you. You see that just that's a that's just an also a stamp on it that says God hears our prayers. You see God wants he wants us and he wants those exiles to worship to worship while they wait. Because we know that in in, 10, in verse 10, he says, look, 70 years after the Babylonian rule, I'll consider, I'll consider you when it comes down to it. But see, God isn't just available to us, but he's also available to all of humanity. So if you're sitting here and you don't have a relationship with him, if you're sitting here and you don't know and you're still trying to find out that whole situation of what's going on, of what's happening, of how you were created and everything like that, just know that God is still available to you. But as we sit as people who love Him, who care for Him, and who know that we have a relationship with Him, it's up to us to understand and to to speak that to to others as well and let them know that God is available to them. Because we can't just sit here and, and expect all of that to be understood by people who don't know Jesus. We need to help them understand by talking to them, by loving them, by helping them as well. So you're right. Unlike any other religion, we don't have to work to get that affirmation in Christ. We don't have to work so that way He can notice us and, he can, and, and, and we can accept Him. We just have to be open to Him because He's always available to us. All right, what else? It's good. Yes, absolutely. No matter, she said. No matter where God has you, you need to accept that, in, 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 in kind of in kind of move on in that. And I, I love I love that because um, here, if we're looking at we're looking at uh, verses, where is it? Okay, yeah, verses uh, twenty nine four through six. Uh, we see the Lord. The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all those he sent out in exile, the Babylon from Jerusalem, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and allow your daughters to get married so they too can have sons and daughters. Grow in number, do not dwindle away. You see, God sends us into exile to build community and to multiply. And one of the things that the student said, and I love the fact that the student said this, is that God wants us to get involved. He doesn't want us to sit here. He doesn't want us to have this consumeristic mentality of church and says, all right, what can the church do for me? Because that's not what it's about. It's about what can we do for God? What can we do to build his kingdom? What can we do to get involved? And I think it's such, it's such a fascinating thing. And I think this is why sometimes our students are way wiser than we ever are is because they even see that and they understand the, the, the concept of to, get in, to be involved. That was something that Lyra shared with us on Wednesday here. And she said, we need to get involved. It's not about who, it's not about, it's, it's not about who we are and what we can get from church. It's about how we can bring Jesus to every person that we meet. And how do we do that? We get involved. We need to do that. We need to grow this kingdom, and we need to impact this community. And I'm not saying it from a sense of, hey, let's try to get everyone in the doors. I'm saying in the sense, let's try to get everyone to heaven. That's what we need to do. And people are going to see that when they see us living in it. And I want to tell you all right now, being exiled means that you're a little uncomfortable. These people couldn't go back to their homes because they were exiled. God sent them there. And if we are in Christ, if we're walking in Him, it's no truer fact that this is not our home. So it's okay for us to be a little bit uncomfortable when we have to introduce people to Jesus. When we have to talk like, when we have, to, we have to talk with them, when we maybe even have to learn a new language so that way we can introduce them to Jesus, we may have to go to Peru to see what God is doing there with the young community, so that way they can bring others to Christ as well. That may have to happen. When we see in the context of the Bible, this is exactly what God has done before. And this for some of us, this is what God is doing for us now. He's putting us in exile. And he wants us to to, to be a part of the community. He wants us to do that, but he wants us to do it for the purpose of him, not for the purpose of us, not for the purpose of our politics, not for the purpose of our ideologies, not for the purpose of our nationality, not for the purpose of our culture, but for the purpose of him. Period. Period. And I say this, Because when we go to college, for those who are graduating, or when we enter the workforce, you may be in a situation where you will feel like you're exiled. And the true matter is, is to know that you, this is why it's important for you to be involved in a community of people that may feel exiled as well. But exiled for Jesus, exiled for Christ, not exiled because you share the, same, you share the same, same politics and ideologies and everything like that, but knowing that Jesus is the one who is the foundation of it all. Jesus is the one who created you and me. And how are we going to impact the community for Jesus? Good. Awesome. Excellent. What else? He gives you a hope and plan for the future. Even if you are exiled. Even if you are in a situation where you don't know who anyone is, where you, are, you feel like you're a stranger to everyone, he still gives you hope and he still gives you plan for the future. Even though it may be 70 years before he'll ever consider you, there's still hope and plan for the future. This verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, doesn't mean that everything's going to be rainbows and roses. That's actually a quote from Tyson on Wednesday night. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that when we come to Christ that our lives are just going to be 100% like perfect and that's it. It means that we have a Savior that we can run to, most importantly, and that that Savior gives us hope and He gives us a plan for the future. But we have to make ourselves available to Him because he ha- He's always available to us. We have to remember that, too. Absolutely. What else? God gives free will. So it, hey, he has a hope and a plan for us when we call out to him, when we're with him, right? Is that what you said? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, so he said God gives us free will, and he gives us free will. It's not like he's going to just send us an exile and say, you're in exile. You can't do anything. You can't have fun. Because sometimes, let's just be honest, you know, we, we look at Christians sometimes, and we say, oh, Christians don't have fun. Christians are so single-minded. Christians are so this. Christians are so, you know, white in a sense as well that's what we say or that's what we see but that's not the case there's lots of fun that is had there's lots of fun in how we can abide in christ and make sure that that's the case and then see in the in the concept of understanding that we have free will to make the choice to choose him to make the choice to honor him is is very important for us as well it's not that we can it's not that He's directing us and enslaving us and telling us that we have to do this. It's the fact that we get to do this. We should want to do this. Why? Because we love the Lord with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. And we should want to see an impact in the community. And so we should be revved up and ready to go when it comes down to it, too. Absolutely. And so as we do that, when we look at the fact that we get to, and it's not a have to, or the fact that we want to, it's a whole lot different in that. It's a whole lot different in how we see God and what we do as well. What else? Word, word. Man, it's awesome. I love that because this is the same exact conversation I had with the students, and they were even telling me the same thing. Oh, it's so awesome. It's cool. Ain't that right? Oh, man, it's good. So I'm getting excited. Sorry about that. It's, it's just, it's sorry, Phil. I mean, yeah. So it, to look out, he says in, in verse 8, For the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, Do not let the prophets among you, those who claim to be able to predict the future by, by divination, deceive you. You know, we have, humanity has our own beliefs. You know, we're consumeristic about our worship. We have what, we have a what's-in-it-for-me attitude. We believe, in those that, we believe in those that tickle our ears rather than truth. And I think even another truth that we look at even further down is that God does not tolerate false prophets. Because there's many things that we can look to other than Jesus. And you see, this is why we need to understand that our God is the jealous God and he wants us to worship him. He doesn't want us to worship the horoscopes. He doesn't want us to worship the news. He doesn't want us to worship likes and follows. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to seek Him. He wants us to understand that He is available to us. We need to be available to Him, too. We need to worship Him. And I got on a roll when I was typing last night and uh, and, and doing this, and I had some things that I wanted to say just in general. And so... When I say this, I want you all to understand, it's going to be a little funny, but it's true too. You see, God wants us to get off the Facebook and put our face in the book. God wants us to get off the gram and start reading about the man, Jesus. He wants us to stop texting our bae and get in your Bible and turn the page. He wants us to stop dancing on TikTok and start listening to the one who rolled the rock. Amen? So... (laughs) He wants us to do all of that. He doesn't want us to be so fixated on all of these things that people tell us all the time, like, you do you, YOLO, what up? That's what you need to do. No, we need to be worshiping him. We need to walk in him. We need to also spread the gospel according to him, not according to us, according to him and what he says. And and even if it's in the most unconventional places, We need to do it, like Peru, like our college campus, like work, like school, like to our friends that we're like, I don't know what they believe, but I don't want to put myself out there because I don't want to lose the friendship. Right? We do that sometimes. But the true matter is, is that I'm not telling you to go at them and just start throwing Bibles at them and beating them on the head with Bibles. I'm just saying, be like Jesus when it comes down to it. These exiles, they decided to create a community of other exiles. So that way they can understand and know how to speak to them. They can walk in them. And they can do those things and and people can see those exiles. For some of y'all who feel exiled, they can see you. It's supposed to be that we're supposed to see you and they're supposed to see Jesus. Jesus. Not the physical makeup and the physical look, but they're supposed to be—they're supposed to see the heart of Jesus and who He is. No, thank you for sharing that, Phil. That's awesome. That's good. I love it when I see intergenerational context that's foundational. That's just foundational. It's so cool. It's good. Good. Cool. Awesome. Anything else? back. Mm. Yes. Right, absolutely. So, so patience was saying that regardless of the situation, that that God could flip the script. Absolutely right. I think that's that's so true. When we look at it, um, when we look at it in uh, the last verse uh, portion of it, then I will reverse your plight. I will, you know, and will regather you from all the nations and all the places where I've exiled you. Says the Lord, I will bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. And you see, humanity is supposed to... And see, this is what we really need to understand is that humanity, in general, is supposed to be with God. But just like Tasha said earlier, we have free will and we need to make that choice to accept him and allow him to be the Lord of our life. And that even if we're in exile as believers, even if we're at that place where we can't go home, God can always flip that script. But once again, he has to be, we have to have hope. We have to, to be encouraged to know that he can do that. Not us. Not me. He can do that. I think that's the key word in all of that. Is that then I, and he's talking about according to, this is God talking through Jeremiah because he was a prophet, then I will reverse your plight and will gather you from all the nations and places where I've exiled you. And for some of us, that exile may be a small point of time. It may be a long point of time. When I came up here to Tennessee, I did not expect. I wanted to come, graduate, and go back home. I came, found my wife, and 18 years later, I'm still here. (laughs) Even though I felt like an exile. But you know what? my parents, and even at the same time, when going back home, my parents, they they uh, are not, well, I mean, at the time that I was, that after I graduated, they really wanted me to come back home, and they really wanted me to, really wanted me to, to be, to to be home, because that's where I needed to be, because my dad was having health problems, my mom was having health problems, and they, they actually uh, took on the responsibility of raising uh, my nephew, because at the time, my brother was not in a place, and his a girlfriend at the, at the time was not in a place as well. As a matter of fact, she ended up just abandoning her own son and then left him with my brother. And my brother, therefore, said, look, I couldn't do it. So he gave the responsibility to my uh, parents right after my, um, right after my uh, little brother had just graduated college. And 18 years later, um, my nephew is now graduating, so my parents can finally be empty nesters. Um, so I was doing the math. And that's a long time, a um, very long time. That's actually 42 years that they waited to be empty nesters. Um, and they took on that, that responsibility. They took on that responsibility to, to, take care of their ne- to take care of their grandson, my nephew. And even at that time, I was up here. And I was like, man, I got to go back home. And I remember my dad even saying, heck, wait, wait till at least you graduate college. And then after I graduated college, I felt so accustomed here, and I felt like God still had me here that I did not, I did not make that decision to go back home. And I found my wife. We had kids, and my dad was like, I guess he ain't ever come back home. And he had a, he had a weird, eerie, eerie feeling about that. But it wasn't until the ordination when they actually flew up here After my dad had a a kidney transplant, he wasn't able to fly, but he still flew, or he wasn't supposed to fly, but he still flew. Amidst that, God protected him. And he came in, and I remember him telling me later on that night, he said, I'm so glad that you stayed, Eric, because God is doing an amazing work in you. And I, at one point, felt like an exile, Because coming from a big Latino family, there was family everywhere. And I moved up here. And I felt like Mexican restaurants couldn't even get chili con queso right. And I was upset about that. But for my dad to finally say, this is where you need to be. And then when I start going, and now, and then when I go back home, I start feeling a little uncomfortable. That's when I know that God has a plan for us. And it may not take the, the four years that it takes for me to graduate college to go back home to feel comfortable. It may take 18 or even 70 years where I'm there. And I say that because even though I felt exiled, you know, it, it, I, I, I was in community with different people in all walks of life. And if I could just, if I had the entire rest of the afternoon, which I'm not going to do to you, um, I can tell you how God has instituted his way into every situation coming at it from me being, from from me bringing bringing the first Latin fraternity ever to MTSU and the Multicultural Greek Council, because I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. So what did God do? God told me, hey, we need to create this community. And you know what? Even though it wasn't centered around who God was at the same time, the simple fact is, is that I made sure that every brother that I I spoke to, all the brothers who were Muslim, who were from different countries and everything like that, that I was going to be Jesus to them. And I was going to walk with them, and I remember one time even praying with a brother, even praying with one of my fraternity brothers, and he even made a made a point to to say, "Hey, let's go into a closed room because I got to talk to you about something." And then not only that, but that, but when I think about all that, and I think about all the you know all the, the, the juveniles that I work with work with every now and then on a weekend, and how they have even how how some of the students that I've even worked with at that point in time have grown up and were even. Students of te- or their teachers were some of my, the, the teachers were some of my fraternity brothers who did not believe in God at one point in time, but now they did. I could tell how like, I was bartending and how one time I witnessed to a guy. And then five years later, he calls me and says, "I remember when you used to sing worship songs while you were slinging beer bottles and stuff like that." I kid you not. He did tell me that. It was, it was very honest. And he was in a, and he and I talked to this day. And he goes, I was in a dark place, but then I would come to work and I would hear that. And he and he would, and I remember him uh, when he when he messaged me on Facebook and he told me he goes, now I'm, now I'm saved. I'm going to I'm going to seminary, and if there's anything I can, if there's anything I can say, it's just thank you. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I want y'all to understand this. I'm saying it because. Even though you may feel like an exile, even though you are going into a situation where you feel like you are going to be exiled, just know that God will stay true to who you are. We have to make ourselves available to him, and we have to choose to follow him, even when it's hard. Even when you feel like there's so much other stuff going out that you're going you're gonna to have FOMO and you're going to have the fear of missing out, that there is still a God who loves you, who cares about you, who wants to walk with you, and who wants you to be Jesus to the people that don't know who he is. We need to prepare ourselves for things like that, fam. That means family, just to, just to let you know. We need to prepare ourselves for things like that and be ready to do that. Be ready to bring him into our workplace. Be ready to bring him into our, into our inner circle of friends. Be ready to bring him to people that don't know Jesus. Be ready to bring him to our families who we don't want to mess up that relationship. Once again, I ain't telling you to beat down people. I'm just telling you to love them like Jesus. And in this, I'm going to wrap up real quick. With some application, because y'all have just done an amazing job and students shut an amazing job on Wednesday. But I want you to understand that, you know, as we look at as we look at how humanity will react to to things of this world and listen to those more than God, there's some application that we need to see too. And it's that there may be people here that don't know who Jesus Christ is. You know, there may be people that haven't had a haven't had that, haven't had that chance to even kind of know who he is, haven't seen him because their life has been so hectic in many ways, and then they've been exiled, they feel, even from Christianity. And I'm going to, I'm going to just say, like, if that's you, just know that God is available to you. And you're probably asking, like, how do we do that? Well, it's really easy. I get this from my kids all the time. It's the ABCs of Christianity. We admit to God, that we are a sinner. And then we believe in Jesus Christ, that he is God's son, and we accept God's forgiveness, because we know that all that stuff in the past, if we just give it to Jesus, that's what we need to do. And then we understand and confess our faith in Jesus Christ, and understand that he is going to be the Lord of our life from here on out. That things may not be once again, rainbows and roses, but we know that there is a Savior that we can come back to. We know that there is a Savior who is there for us more than our friends will be. Even those friends that are ride or die, which means that they're going to be there all the time, just, just to let y'all know, adults. Um, even those friends that are going to be ride or die to us, that Jesus will be there even when they're not there. And that's what we can do. And there's going to be a time of prayer that we'll have later on. And if you feel that, that you need some prayer for things like that. And come see us in the front. We'll be glad to talk to you more about that. And just some application for today as we, as we move on. And that is that exiles, we're exiles, we get involved. Some of the questions I have for you is, how am I getting involved with community? How am I getting involved with my faith? And then also, how am I letting God get involved in my life? If you don't know who Christ is, this is a question for you. Next one is exiles, man, exiles are resilient. And so a question I would have for you is am I limiting my worship? Am I seeking Him for my benefit only? And have I let God take the lead over my fears? If you don't know who Jesus is, that would be a good question for you. And the last one is, exiles will make time for him. Just like it says in the passage. Am I confident that God is available to me? How do I make time for him? Is he in my heart? Is he the Lord of my life? Start thinking about that today. Start thinking about where Jesus is in your life. And, you know, I gave, a, I gave some books to my, to my leadership team called uh, Faith for Exiles. And one of the, uh, there was a big, long, big, long, just a, a big, long uh, paragraph in that um, that I read. And last night I went over it because I was like, if there's anything that details this passage, it is this. And that's a really good book. It was written in 2019. Um, and it was all about the research of how young people, where they fit, um, In the church. And so sometimes they say young people will go more to brands than Jesus because Jesus wants everything, and brands only want a little bit. But yet we'll stay loyal to brands more than we'll stay loyal to Jesus, right? And uh, it talks about that a lot. And so one of the, I took out this paragraph, and I want to read it to y'all here. It says, we are bombarded in digital Babylon with unprecedented force and frequency, by conflicting chaotic messages about what matters and how to live. The latest blog post, the newest music, the most popular television show, and even the news all do their best to convince us we should care and what to do about it. Buy something, usually. These messages are constantly changing. We must anchor our search for identity in something deeper and truer, which means we must, like Daniel and his comrades, learn the habits of devotion. We must repeat to ourselves and to one another. What the Bible says about us, the idea of identity is relatively new language for the way we humans conceive our experiences. And the Bible invites us to consider human reality in an ancient but relevant way. What a gift. That's what it is. It's a gift. And if there is any other application, any other real-time application that I can give you, for, for this, for this sermon, and even for today, when we look at an exile and what an exile is, I want to I want to show you this picture here, of this guy named Riley Leon. Okay, Riley Leon is a is the picture, there. Of, okay, all right, there he is, Riley Leon. If any of you know, don't know who Riley Leon is, um, does anyone know? Raise your hand if you know. Okay. All right. Cool. Awesome. This is good. Oh, it's gonna be good. All right. So uh, Riley Leon is a 16-year-old. So, for, for, well, first of all, for a lot of people, when we look at the younger generation, people who are graduating, even younger, a lot of times we think a lot of different things. We think of, we think of, oh, they're entitled. Oh, they're, you know, oh, they're lazy and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm young people. I'm not talking about you, but this is what sometimes we hear, right? And we fight those stereotypes a lot. Okay. And we feel like exiles because of that, okay? But Riley Leon is a little different. He happened to be going to an interview at Whataburger one day and ran into something and just some background about him. Doesn't know very good, well, he, he knows how to speak English. He learned it when he was here in the U.S. His mom is not from here. He's 16 years old so he's probably given that you know and he has his own truck and he's probably given that you know when people look at him he's, and he's you know he's obviously you know he's obviously he's mexican so there's a lot of stereotypes that even come with that too so an exile we see and so he's been in he's been in the states for a while as well but still he probably runs into a lot of different things a lot of different stereotypes a lot of different Concepts that people kind of dwell up from their own minds. But watch what happens when he is coming back from, a, from an interview at Whataburger. 16 years old. Tonight, there's a lucky twist in the story of a teenager who got caught in a Texas tornado. Remember this video? I mean, this red pickup truck getting tossed and landing on its wheels during Monday's tornado. That truck was being driven by 16-year-old Riley Leon, who was heading home from a job interview when his world suddenly went upside down for God to give me another chance because better things are going to come in the future. Yeah. Never, never let small things bring you down. I mean, isn't this incredible? His truck got banged up, but Leon got the job at Whataburger, and guess what? He starts next week. If I lived there, I would be lining up to order from him. This, 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 uh, this, entire, uh, this entire sermon is just all about Texas, uh, God, but then Texas after that. Um, but absolutely, so we're looking, at, we're looking at Riley and we see that every concept in here that, that he has as an exile, as he is a person who's probably looked at in a certain way, you know, probably stereotyped in a certain way. But yet, he's still like, look, man, I got to get a job. I got to make sure I'm working within the community. And then when he's given that platform, he easily could have said, look, this is all me. I do me. That's how I do it. That's just what I do. But no, he chose to put God on that platform before himself. He said, I give glory to God. And if you, if you look at other longer interviews, you can on YouTube, he even says, God allowed me to live another day because he probably has better plans for me, Jeremiah 29, 11. Being not only all the stuff that he probably goes to goes through, but the, but the fact that he's willing to give glory and honor to God in that sense. And also got the job at Whataburger, which is awesome, which people saying, hey, look, people don't want to work fast food. And even probably looking at, you know, looking at him working in fast food, there's probably a stereotype there too. But the truth of the matter is, is that God can save us. God can redeem us. And God wants us to shout his name before our very own. So think about that. Like I said, there's some people who feel exiled from the church. There's some people that feel exiled from the world. And when we look at that application, where are we at? What is going on in our hearts right now? As the band comes up, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And there's going to be some people out here in the front. that, If, they're, if you feel like an exile, if you feel like an outcast, I'm going to welcome you to pray with other exiles, with other outcasts, because I know and we know that this world is not our home. And we want to be exiled along with you. We want to walk with you. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. Let's pray. God, as we look to today, and we can have several we can have several opinions, several matters about who you are what you do and where you are in our life but I'm asking right now that if there are people in this room that don't know who you are may you give them the courage to invite you in their life so they trust you so they can honor you so they can walk in you with the other exiles that are here God we understand that this world is not our home But we understand that there is a plan, there is a path, and it is not our own. But it is your plan. God, I'm asking right now that you continue to walk with us. You continue to encourage us. And that we continue to abide in you as we do so in honor and love of you. And I say this all in Jesus' name. Amen.